Welcome into another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast with the Indie Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz, and the star of the show, as always, is the very handsome Greg Doyle, who doesn't need a haircut during this quarantine lockdown. Hi, Greg. Yeah, it's about time. I don't know that you've ever called me handsome, um, which is your mistake. Uh, it's, <laughs> I'm not finding that creepy at all. I'm finding it strange that you would never use, use that word before. But yeah, I don't need a haircut. Bald is always beautiful, as they say, or as I say. I'm getting a uh, my my dad. I think it's actually from your mom's side, if I'm not mistaken. But I can't show you right now. You're not going to be able to see it. But I'm getting like that the start of like that bird nest thing going at the very top of your head. And when you're a small dude like I am, I'm like five five. Uh, on a on a good day, okay. Uh, yeah, on a good day, um, when you have a little bit of the balding, uh, it's very very noticeable. So I'm like super like self conscious about it now that. I'm getting I'm, I'm almost 40 and it's it's starting to go by the wayside a little bit for me. Yeah. And let me tell you something. It, it, it actually like I, I feel my bald spot up here and I can feel it. I mean, it's clearly there, um, but it feels like it's the size of a quarter. It really does. And then yeah. and then I, uh, I my girlfriend, she's got a I may have mentioned this before. I got the coolest girlfriend ever. She I've got a boxing heavy bag in her garage, which she bought for me for my birthday and put it in her garage. Her car is parked in the street. Anyway, um, she took video of me boxing the other day. I saw it. Did you see the size of my bald spot? I wasn't really looking at that. I was more impressed with how badly you were destroying that bag. Never mind that. That's what you you wanted, right? That was the point of the video. It's not what I saw. All I saw was the bald spot on my head. I mean, I look like Friar Tuck. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I'm telling you, I'm feeling it right now. It's like the size of a quarter. And yet, anyway, so whatever you think you've got up there, it's it's worse than than that. And by the way, have I ever told you my my Miguel Cabrera bald spot story? No, I don't think this would have been a young Miguel Cabrera in the Marlins days, right? No, uh, it had been older, maybe one year after his Triple Crown Miguel Cabrera days oh, in Detroit. Oh, okay. I, I just assumed it was during your time while you were covering the Marlins. I don't think he and I overlapped with the Marlins. Um, gotcha, okay. I don't think we did, but but uh, he was in Detroit s- several years ago, 10, maybe tw- 12, 14, whatever it was. I had a mohawk back then. Did you know I had a mohawk? I did, because it was your Twitter avatar for a long time before you came here, right? You want to uh, with yeah. a mohawk? That's right, yeah. Yeah, some fan took a picture of me and then posted it <laughs> thinking he was, you know, making some comment about, look at this fool. And I was so mortified by that picture that I saved it and made it my avatar. I loved it. But anyway, um, so I had this bald spot. I'm sorry, I had this mohawk. And I'm talking to Miguel Cabrera one day in Detroit for a story. I'm working at CBS at the time. And when I walk away from him, and he's been great, and I walk away from him, and he starts giggling. And and I just kind of know instinctively he's laughing at me. And so I run back to him, like, what are you laughing at? And he goes, you don't know? And I said, no, I don't know. What? And he puts his finger on my bald spot in the middle of my mohawk. <laughs> I didn't know. Nobody told me. Yeah. <laughs> I had a bald spot. My, I had a wraparound mohawk around a bald spot. So anyway, uh, going full bald is fine, but trying to cling to what you think you have, never the right choice. You know what? It makes for a great story, though, that it's Miguel Cabrera. If it was, you know, Placido Polanco who touched your bald spot, it's not as cool of a story. You know what I mean? That's a good point. That's a very, very good point. 
Uh, you had a, a column today about the Colts and, you know, speaking of getting old and balding, this is a little bit of a sloppy transition. You were asking, is, is this the best Colts team on paper as we enter 2020, assuming there's a 2020 season since Peyton Manning? And I still think to myself, Greg, I'm like, well, God, Peyton Manning, that was only, what, three, four seasons ago. Um, this year will mark 10 years since Peyton Manning last took a snap with the Colts. It's incredible. It really is. Yeah, but that that wasn't a transition. It wasn't sloppy. That was an abrupt slam on the brakes, run right into a building, and then hop out of your car before it explodes, and then go talk about something else. That's that's what that was. But that's fine. That's what we do here. Um, You're just mad because of the bald thing, right? I am so bitter. I'm also mad because I, <laughs> my son's cat is staying with me, and you've seen the snake. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to show you the cat later, but the cat has decided to start peeing in my apartment. Oh boy. And what what do I do? I I mean, yeah. cat yeah. is no joke. That stuff eats through brick. No, it's no joke. Oh, I, and I was gone last night. I came back, opened the door to my my apartment, and just was hit with the smell. Like, oh no, it's <laughs> the worst. You know it when you see it. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the Colts. I realized they were an AFC Championship contender. You know, I was there. You know, Deflategate. I was there that year. Um, but that team will. Uh, it wasn't exactly smoke and mirrors, but all those teams, those three in a row, 11 win teams, they were all kind of, I mean, they were not a one man team, but maybe like a four man team. It was Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hilton, Vinatieri and, and Pat McAfee. Uh, and, and then just a bunch of people. And then, you know, Robert Mathis one year had a bunch of sacks, but those were not good teams. They had great results, but they were not good teams. And, in hindsight, you look back and you go, damn, look at this roster. Well, look at this roster now, and you go, damn, look at this roster. I mean, this roster is loaded, um, I think, loaded relatively. Like, as I wrote, it's the it's loaded for Colts teams. It's the best Colts team on paper I've seen since Manning was here. Uh, they got to go out and do it. But Frank Reich was talking about him a couple days ago. He wasn't going that far, but you could tell he was – he even said the words, you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver." But Colts fans ought to be real excited right now. He's trying not to say something big, so I said it big for him. Yeah, and, and you won't say smoke and mirrors, but I will, because it, it absolutely was smoke and mirrors. And I don't know if we really knew at the time how smoky and mirrory it was, because what was happening, Greg, especially in the 13 and 14 seasons, was that the Colts were beating up on a historically terrible division, and they were going 500 against everybody else. So... Yeah, you're right. They went to the AFC Championship game in, in 2014, and you can't take that away. They beat beat a broken-down Peyton Manning, who was free-falling at the end of his second season, or third season, I guess, there in Denver at that point, um, to get there. And then they got walloped by the Patriots. But the rest of that season, you know, at 12, 13, and 14, they were essentially beating the tar out of the Jaguars, Titans, and Texans. And then they were around an 8-8, eight 9-7-ish eight, and seven-ish team against everybody else, winning a uh, close games at a, an unrepeatable clip. I mean, I remember the 2012 team, I think went nine and one in one possession games. Like that's unheard of to win that many coin flips. That's, you know, it's, that's having heads pop up nine different times out of 10. So um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you that those rosters were very flawed. I don't think that those were bad teams by any means, um, but I think luck really helped carry those. And Hilton was great. And, you know, Reggie Wayne was great until he tore the ACL. He had a great 2012. He had a, a, you know, he was on pace for a really nice 2013 before that Broncos Sunday night game, and he planted and cut the wrong way. Um, but yeah, looking at this team on paper, here's the problem. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here. We're still on paper making a bunch of assumptions about who these guys are because they haven't been here 
Philip Rivers hasn't played here yet. Uh, Buckner hasn't played here yet. Jonathan Taylor hasn't taken an NFL snap. Michael Pittman Jr. hasn't taken an NFL snap. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, on paper, they look great. But I don't know how all the pieces necessarily are going to end up fitting together. And what I still worry about offensively, even though I think they have a lot of guys, I don't know who the weapons are. Is your best weapon still T.Y. Hilton? After that, who's your second best weapon? Is it Mac? Uh, okay, I guess. You know, is, is it Taylor? Is it going to be Pittman Jr.? Maybe. I don't know. See, I, if I were to rank the players that we – you mentioned four guys. To me, Pittman's the one guy we don't really know. Um, and he was the guy they drafted their first pick. Um, not the first rounder, but I think in order, we know DeForest Buckner. I mean, he was second team all pro last year. We know what he is and he's young. Jonathan Taylor, guys like that come into the league and just tear it up. They don't last for long. Running backs don't, but guys like John, I mean, if he didn't have Marlon Mack, if it was just Jonathan Taylor with this spread offense and, and, and Rivers throwing all these weapons, he's a 1500 yard guy. He's, he's ridiculous. Um, and then Philip Rivers, I think, will be decent. And I mean, by decent, I mean decent by his standards. And his standards are Hall of Fame. So I think he'll be fine. Um, I, I like this team on paper a whole lot. I don't, I don't know. You're right about the number two option. But I think the reason we don't know who the number two option is is because they got so many choices. they got Pittman, Taylor, Mack. Um, I mean, Trey Burton won't be a number two choice, but he's an exciting piece. Pascal's getting a lot better. I mean, holy cow, is he getting better? Jack Dole's a Pro Bowl player not long ago. Uh, Paris Campbell, I'm very excited to see Paris Campbell in year two with a really veteran quarterback who might know how to use him better. So uh, there's a lot of reasons to think. And, and that offensive line will give that quarterback time. So, I I mean, I like this offense. And, oh, by the way, Darius Leonard hadn't gone anywhere, and neither has Kenny Moore. I love that defense. Yeah, I love the defense. I, I love how they stack up. Um, Pittman Jr., by the way, I'm 100% convinced is going to have a really productive rookie season. In fact, I – I think Pittman Jr. is going to be more of an instant impact player than Jonathan Taylor is going to be. And Let you know, me say part, of that, part of that might be, you know, their roles because Mac is still going to be the clear number one. And not that Hilton's not going to be the clear number one, but I, I just think the Colts are so starved for that second guy that, that Pittman. And he presents such a different kind of target, Greg, than, than what Hilton is because he's a bigger dude. You know what I mean? He's... Um, I think the problem that the Colts ran into in the past is they were trying to pair T.Y. Hilton with other T.Y. Hiltons like Philip Dorsett, and it just you, – you need to have kind of a yin and yang. Let me be very clear about this because I wasn't earlier. Um, when I said that Pittman's the fourth of the four, you know, I, I think DeForest Buckner's 100% can't miss. I think Jonathan Taylor's a 98% almost can't miss. Philip Rivers, 92 93%. I, I'm still giving him an A, but we'll see. And Pittman's – 90-91. I, I don't think he's a to- coin flip. He'll be fine. I just think that I think that highly of the other three guys that Pittman's the fourth. But um, I believe in Pittman too. So, yeah. I, I mean, I you know you, you you're innocent until proven guilty in a lot of ways. And and to me these these guys are all innocent until proven they can't play. I think, and I don't mean that because everybody deserves that. No, they don't. But these guys do. I like these guys a lot. I haven't seen if they've locked into these over-unders yet, but I saw some projections that have the Colts around eight and a half to nine for season win totals. God, jeez. Um, over. Really? Eight yeah. and a half, nine? Eight and a half, because nine. Because people are buying into Blaine Gabbert. That's what I love. I mean, Tennessee, what they have. I mean, Derrick Henry's – I mean, I love Derrick Henry. But Blaine Gabbert, they're buying into that like, okay, that's who he is now. Why you mean, you mean we, Tannehill? Uh, whoever. They're all the same. Right. They're the same guy. Yeah. They're the same guy. <laughs> Dan McGuire, whoever he is. Yeah, I get my AFC South bust uh, mixed up as well. Right. Chad Pennington, 
I mean, he's the same guy. He, he is what he was. And then he has this one year, really seven or eight games, and everything goes right. And he's got Derrick mm-hmm. Henry having a monster year. And I just don't see it. You know, blame Tannehill. I don't see it. I don't, <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see it. And uh, Jacksonville sucks. So we know they've got – we've got the AFC South is uh, – I mean, I'm not saying the Titans are going to be 4-12, and 12, but – I, I I don't see I don't see them doing what they did again. I don't see them coming close. Not with that quarterback. You always say that you struggle with names. It's become kind of a joke on this podcast. But that one right there might be an all timer, Blaine Gabbert. Because I, I can't remember the last time I heard the name Blaine Gabbert. But man, that's how much I think he, of Tannehill. That that's my think of Tannehill. No, I'm terrible at names. I'm terrible at names. And I, I did something the other day. Uh, I don't remember what it was. It happened so often. But I am so bad with names. And, uh, and, I, and the problem is I'm not bad with names. Like if I meet somebody in the street and I forget your name, although I'm not great at that always, but I'm, sure. I, I, I try to say the wrong name <laughs> out loud and people rightly think I'm a complete moron. And, and I don't know what that brain issue is. You know, there's a name for everything nowadays. There's gotta be a word for that. Like I'm going to hide behind, I take a couple pills a day. I do. I'm going to hide behind. There's some brain <laughs> malfunction I've got. And you ought to take pity on me. Really. But I agree with you that I, I think uh, I think Tennessee caught lightning in a bottle last year. Like I, you know, that, that team was kind of left for dead at the beginning, at the middle of the season. And they dropped Mariota for Tannehill. And Tannehill had a really nice finish to the year, but still is a very limited quarterback. Um, he played about as well as he possibly could last year. And Henry in this whole run the ball and be dominant and score, you know, 20 points and win 20 to 14. I, I still don't think that that really works. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the division is very, very winnable. I, I still I'm just a little bit apprehensive about going from what we saw last year, though, to like making this team into some sort of an AFC contender. Um, I, I just don't I don't view them like that because I just think there are too many question marks, especially about Rivers, who I was in favor of them bringing in. But. I think there's a really good chance, Greg, that just as good of a chance that Rivers is fine, I think there's a really good chance that he's completely washed. It's fair. I mean, it's fair. At his age, given the year he had last year, you can't ignore either of those numbers. Uh, he was great in 2018. He was great in 18. Uh, I think he's going to have better supporting cast this year. I know he's going to have better offensive coaches around him. Um, I just, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. And and I, as among the things that are kind of standbys when you and I talk, one is I'm going to say a few names wrong. Um, two is I'm going to say that I will always side guys that I really like a lot. I will yeah. always see the, and I shouldn't. I'm a sports writer and blah 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 blah. But when I like a guy as much as I like Philip Rivers, um, I just, you know, uh, if I'm going to make a mistake, it'll be on the side of, 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 of being too nice. But I make so many mistakes inside of being too mean that you got to give me these two nice mistakes every now and then. you, you got to <laughs> well, give them to me. You root for people. I, I think we all do that. I, you know, yeah. you, you try to hold your journalistic integrity and all of that, but you end up rooting for people for sure. Um, Chris Ballard, as we enter this year, Greg, would you say this is the first true evaluation year with – the decision to move on from Brissett and, and not having, you know, 17 and 19, I, I'm not going to give him a complete pass for everything bad that's ever happened to him, but 17 and 19 were two major, major curveballs that Ballard had to deal with losing luck at the last second when they thought they were going to have him. And now, obviously, those excuses have run out. We're entering year four. They went out and spent some money. People are talking about the draft class that they brought in. Are you viewing this kind of as the, the honeymoon being over and the big evaluation year for Ballard here in year four? Uh, yeah, I guess I, I wouldn't quite uh, want to say it like that. I, I don't think this is because that almost sounds like uh, 
this is the year that Ballard either earns the right to stay in 2021 or they got to move on from Ballard. And I, I've seen enough from Ballard in, in three years to know, to believe that he's really good at his job. And if for whatever reason this year doesn't work out, if, if they rolled the dice in Rivers and didn't work out or whatever, um, he's too good to give up on if this year doesn't work out. But I think it will work out just fine. I don't think they're an AFC contender because I think the AFC is is Mahomes and everybody else. So I, you know, I, I don't I, I think they could very easily be the second best team in the AFC, second best. And maybe you get lucky in the AFC championship game. But let's be honest, Kansas City's not going anywhere. I mean, not anywhere. And Kansas City's willing to they're willing to hire awful people and let them run faster than everybody else. They're they're willing to do that. They're willing to win that way. And uh, the Colts aren't, and I'm glad. I, I'd, I'd rather the Colts go whatever they're going to go without Tyreek Hill than win a Super Bowl with them. And I mean, I say that as a sports writer who you know knows that Super Bowl teams mean business for me. But I don't want to have I don't want to write about Tyreek Hill. Not in my city. I don't want to do it. I don't want to live near him. None of that stuff. So anyway, um, Casey is what it is. And they're, they're nothing to be proud of, but they're very, very good. Uh, I'm not sure what what the hell I was talking about, but that's the that's the rant I went off on there. I, I don't think uh, I don't think Baltimore is quite to that level, but I think you have to at least put them. I, I'd put them clearly above the Colts. If Lamar Jackson is anything close to what he was last year, then Baltimore absolutely is a better team than them too. Yes, I forgot about that. Yes, absolutely, and and I'm human and don't, didn't remember that one. Yeah, Lamar Jackson and Mahomes. That wasn't me trying to be like, aha. I, you no, know, I know. Saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know, I know. I just, I, I just every now. <laughs> I mean, when I'm just when I when I forget something as big as that, yes, I. The Colts are very clearly not one of the best two teams in the AFC because um, this this as this league more than ever. I mean, it's always been a quarterback league and blah, 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 blah. But more than ever, given how much freedom quarterbacks have at the line of scrimmage and how they can run and pass and how coaches are scheming around that, the, the, the field is so spread and, and the defense is getting so much smaller. And so, yeah, you can get hurt, but you're going to get hit by a lot smaller guys than you used to. So if you've got a great young quarterback like Jack, Jackson or Mahomes, you really are, you're going to dominate that. It's almost like being in the NBA. If you've got mm-hmm. the best player on the court, your team's going to win. And that's how the NFL is becoming. If you've got a absolute monster quarterback, your team's going to win. We've actually got a lot to get to today. So um, we are going to, you already poo-pooed my original transition, so I'm not even going to try anymore. We are going to kind of bounce around <laughs> today from from Colts to, to racing to, you know, back to stick and ball sports. But uh, the 500 weekend passed without a 500. You wrote a beautiful column about it, which I think really encapsulated how people in Indianapolis are feeling. Isn't um, that amazing that I did that? I don't know if you think that's amazing. I think that's amazing because when I came here, uh, now I can come out and say it. I hated the idea of the 500. I didn't want to do it. It scared me. Uh, I took the job knowing I'd have to go and just thinking, well, one day a year's going to suck, but but you love this job. And I'm in love with the sport. I I love the 500. And I wrote, as you wrote, as you mentioned, I wrote something on Sunday about missing it. And I meant every word of it. Like I, I've got my memories of the 500 now and I want to keep keeping them growing. So it does certainly grow on you. You and I are the same way. Cause when, when I grew up uh, and I grew up in Connecticut, um, you know, it's not really a racing hotbed. None of my friends watch racing, NASCAR, IndyCar, anything like that. Uh, we That's not what we watched. It was cars going around in the circle. My dad loved it. My dad grew up in South Bend and went to a bunch of 500s. He'd drive down and Studebaker cars was up in South Bend. And he's always been, a, he used to fix, fix and race GTOs. So my dad's always been a car enthusiast, but that skipped a generation because I didn't care about it at all. But when I first started coming out here, Greg, to experience the race and camping out at the Coke lot and everything that went with it, it it's so much more than a car race, right? 
Because oh. you and I, it, it's the same thing. You thought our only experience was it was the race itself. And, oh, let's look, it's cars. Who cares? Once you're there and the mass of people and just the energy around it, um, it's special. It really is. Well, it, it's I mean, there's so many there are so many stars of an Indy 500 race day. The the, the speedway is a star. Mm-hmm. The, the fans are a, the star. Uh, the cars themselves, beautiful little cars are the star. And then the drivers are the star. And then every now and then you have a guy like a, a Penske or, or a, a, str- a strategic guy who, you know, decides to roll the dice and we're going to do our fuel thing. And, and uh, Alexander Rossi is going to win because somebody in his fuel team knew that they had enough, just enough gas to win. So I, there's so many, there's so many stars out there. I, and I, and the, and the athletes, the drivers are so damn uh, pleasant and willing to talk to you and be helpful. And I, I'll never get over, I will never get over the fact that willpower who strikes me as kind of a surly, a surly kind of guy, you wouldn't think he's the guy that would be in this story, but I'll never get over the fact that willpower, my first 500 was in 15. He lost that race by the slimmest of margins, had the best car, but but he didn't have his tires were going bad and Montoya kept passing him late in the race on turns. I mean, you know your tires are bad when you're getting passed on the turns. And then he would make it up in the straightaway, but the the anyway, the Montoya just had barely had enough to hang on and win. But so power's crushed and he's like the Tom Kite of his generation, the best golfer to never win a masters or major and he's the best driver with no 500 and that was just his latest disappointment. He let me ride in the golf cart with him back to his garage and talk to him the whole way. He doesn't know who I am and you listen to me talk. I'm irritating. So I'm, and that's, and he's the least media friendly guy there and he was great. Yeah. And those guys and and gals, uh, they get it. Uh, I think, I think NASCAR is starting to learn that, uh, you know, the, the NASCAR, not to turn this into an IndyCar NASCAR thing, but I think when NASCAR got so big, Greg, they started deciding, Hey, well, you know, if this isn't a um, an appearance for Lowe's or for Hooters, we're not going to do it. We don't care. They keep all the fans away from the garages and all that. No autographs, no photos. And I think they're kind of learning a hard lesson now that they need that attention, not only from the media and from fans, because the, the sport's kind of cratering that uh, that was the wrong way to go when they got really big. And I don't think IndyCar, which is far more niche than NASCAR ever was, um, has has ever fallen victim to that. Um, you know, part of the fact is that they've never been popular enough to have the luxury of doing that, I guess. But they're, they're popular here for sure. I, I'm still wondering what's going to happen here in August because and I haven't talked to Doug Bowles, the president of Speedway, about this. But I, I almost called him when it was first announced, because as we get closer, are you going to be willing to let 50,000 people into that place? knowing that the 200,000 people you don't let in are going to be really upset about it. You know, it it feels to me like an all or nothing thing. Either you let everybody in, which I just don't think is feasible, or you don't let anybody in at all. But am I wrong? No, that's, that's actually where I am. And it's, it's, it's a a story column. I guess I've been debating writing for a while, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired of being Mr. Bad news all the time um, about, what what I think is happening in sports and what I project will happen and blah blah, blah you know with the virus and all that I'm just kind of I, I don't I don't want to be right so much that I want to you know just keep putting this out there so five months from now you'll see that I was right I, I don't I don't want to do that but but one column I've been thinking about I mean every day I want to write this but I still don't know how to get at it and I don't want to be a Mr. Bad Guy is that how do you have social distancing how do you limit like the NFL says we can play but not in a full stadium. Okay, well, the Colts 
let's just say they have 50,000 season tickets, but they're only going to let in 20,000 people. How do you how do you tell those 30,000 they can't come? And if you're like uh, Purdue football and, you, you know, how do you tell those the kids the people, people want to come? If you're Notre Dame football, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. I like you say, it seems like it's going to be it's got to be all or nothing. And yet they're leaving money on the table. And yet it's got to be same thing with the 500. And Lord knows they could social distance if they wanted, but not if 300,000 people want to come. And let's be honest, if there's a 500 um, in in August, if there is one, I think there will be. And at that point, just like these UFC fights are setting record numbers on pay-per-view and other things because we're so starved for sports, everybody's going to want to go. If if they say the racetrack's open, it'll be full because we'll all go. There's nothing else to do. And we'll be so damn starved. So they can't say it's open to everybody. So you're right. How do they say one in 10 of you can come? Which one in 10? And what about the other nine? And you know this because you've done stories on it. You know, who tells Grandpa Bobby in Speedway, who's been to 57 consecutive Indy 500s, that he's the guy that's not going to be able to go to keep his streak alive, right? I I just feel like the 500 has even more of a connection with people, more so than, let's say, you know, like a Notre Dame Navy game or – you know, the Colts playing the Bengals or something like that. Yeah, you know, you, you miss it, that sucks, but you catch another one, the 500. If, if you miss the 2020 Indianapolis 500, there's not going to be another 2020 Indianapolis 500 for you to attend. Yeah, it's uh, the, and the number 104 is coming up and all that. The, the, it's, a, it's a sport like this with so much tradition where you, it, it's not the same. You, you'd almost, you can't do it if you don't do it the whole way. I mean, I, I, mean, I guess you have it because you make some money and the TV ratings will, will be there, but it, it's – like you, you can have a golf tournament, the Buick Open. You can have that with no fans. It really doesn't matter. You to have this with no fans is, it's not. It's not the five hundred. You, it, it, it's something. It's cars going in a circle, but it's not the five hundred. There were no fans at the, the match part two there with uh, Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, and, and Peyton Manning. Did you watch on Sunday? No, of course not. But I saw the highlights, and I just I so badly hate it when Brady does what he did you know i so badly hate it that that barkley's giving him a hard time and he and, and brady's struggling and he walks up there and and literally drills 150 yarder into the cup i hate that about tom brady um because i want him to fail i i want him to fail and he's a cheater and i don't like him um but damn that was that was brutal can i say this without you wanting to strangle me through skype here probably not I find myself here, maybe it's just because we're nearing the end for him, or maybe it's because, you know, on on Twitter, he's cracking jokes and he's been a little bit more personable. I've actually kind of found myself sort of liking Tom Brady now. Now, see, that's the danger of (laughs) – the the danger is of paying attention to the guy's personality. Let me tell you something. I'm writing right now, right now, before you Skype, and I'll I'll finish it after we Skype, um, a column on transfers college basketball and how many of them there are. And it's crazy how many there are in our state alone. Um, and I'm, and I'm holding up John Beeline as my human shield for why do you want, do you want people like Beeline to win? Cause he was the guy that tried to stop Bielfeld from coming to IU and tried to stop Spike Albrecht from going to Purdue. Is that who you want to win? The media like my point is the media likes John Beeline cause he's nice to the media, but he's awful. He's a miserable human being. He didn't even survive in Cleveland for nine months because they figured out that, oh, you're horrible. You're a, an X and O savant. You're a great coach, but you're just, you're just a, not a nice guy. So let's not, let's not 
uh, get lost in like you are what you do. Okay. And beeline, what he does is try to tell kids, you can't play for me anymore, but you also can't play where you want to play. He is what he is. And that's awful. Tom Brady is what he is. And that's a cheater. Let's not be fooled by the, everything else is a, is a, is an illusion. Like don't look at the left hand, the the left hand's cheating its ass off, but the right hand is very handsome and very charming on Twitter. Yeah. Well, I care more about Mm. your left hand. I do. Sorry. It's very witty. No, I just I enjoyed the Twitter interactions. Um, yeah, the transfer thing. I'm so tired of this. Oh, you know, so you know, the latest obviously is Justin Smith. So and so transferred, so he quit on his teammates. Look, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are graduate transfers. They earned their degree. Um, I, I just think people want to have it both ways. You can't you can't say that these are adults and you know, all of that, and then not let them make adult decisions. Um, I have no problem with whatever Matt Harms or Justin Smith or even Nojel Eastern, even though I I think he handled it pretty poorly. I have no problem with what those guys decide to do, which what they think is best for them. That's their decision. That's not my decision, you know, and and being a crappy teammate and all that, you know, it's funny, Greg, you never hear the actual teammates speak up on that. Isn't that funny? That's because they don't care. You know, right. you know, what did I think it was Aaron Wheeler at Purdue said, you know, he made a joke that I can't wait to play no gel because I'm going to I'm going to hand him 30, 40 points or whatever. You know, I'm paraphrasing whatever he said on Twitter. Those guys remain friends. They're they're taking pot shots at each other. They're competitive. I, I don't think they view it like that. I think the only people that view it like, oh, you're quitting on the team and you got to stay true to your word are like the 65 year old candy stripe wearing pants guys in Columbus or Martinsville. Like those are the people that I think that have a problem with it. Um, coaches, like you, you mentioned, beeline. Coaches can do whatever they want. I think players should be allowed to do the same thing. There's so many restrictions that we put on them. I think having the freedom to, especially after you graduate, to transfer and be immediately eligible. I have zero problem with it. Yeah, and I, I don't like judging a kid for making the decision he made. I mean, this is the world's changed. This is we're we're not old school. We're not rubbing dirt on it anymore it hurts rub dirt on it we're not um we're not telling kids honor your commitment well why is that a one-way street the coaches aren't honoring theirs they're they're always looking for the next job i mean they are if they, if they don't if they it's almost like what chris rock said about being faithful to your spouse you're only as faithful as your options uh in in marriages that's that was his joke and it was kind of funny and there's a lot of truth to that not entirely but there's a lot of truth to that same thing with college coaches they're only as, they're only as committed to their school as the options they have of paying them somewhere else more and John Beeline taught us all that very very well and we see it every year so i don't want to judge any kid for leaving ever i think about these things as a parent you know those i've got kids 24 and 22 and they won't always be that age but but they'll be 30 and th- 28 someday and all that but but I will always have been a dad of college kids. You, you'll never be able to take that away from me. And so I will always look at these college kids and think, if that was my son in on that team and he wanted to leave for whatever reason, and I'm sure it would be a legit reason, then go, go. You're, you know, I made mistakes in my life too, and I, I yeah. like like to think I could have changed them every now and then and gone somewhere different. You've got the chance. Go do that. And if you face adversity in life, it's always good to fight through adversity. But sometimes there are situations, you know, people are making it sound like fighting through the adversity and sticking through it is always the right decision. Sometimes if a marriage isn't working, it's time for both parties to just say, hey, look, this isn't working. I got to move on to new things. Sometimes at, at, at your job, 
you feel like you're trapped or there's a, you find another job. Like, I, I don't think that's quitting necessarily. I think that's just trying to find out what's best for you. And I'm not saying that Matt Harms going to BYU or Justin Smith, wherever he ends up is going to be, even though it would be absolutely freaking hilarious if Justin Smith ended up at Purdue, wouldn't it? Who he said um, contacted him. Um, I, I don't know if those are going to be better situations than they were at Purdue and IU respectively, but uh, that's not my decision to make. That's their decision. And they both earned their degree. So blessings. I I don't like the fact and and, and I'm not blaming anybody but myself here. I'm not blaming me relations or anybody. I'm blaming me. I don't like the fact that I didn't know Justin Smith was going to graduate the IU business school, the Kelly school of business in three years while being a D one athlete. And yeah, on the one hand, these guys, they've got, if they want it, they've got tutors and they've got, you know, they got a lot of advantages, but, but if you're the kind of guy that graduates from the IU business school in three years, you don't need tutors and you don't, you don't need whatever help they're giving. You're, you're just, a, you're just busting your ass and very smart. And, uh, I wish I'd known that about Justin Smith. I, I have no doubt that he's very smart. You can tell from talking to him, he's a smart kid, but I mean, he didn't, he didn't look like he was an ass buster on the court, right? I mean, nobody with that size and explosion should be rebounding as little, as little as he did, but off the court, man, he was a kicking some butt, and I, I wish I'd known that. Yeah, there are just some guys that it, 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 they were frustrating to watch because you felt like they were only tapping into 40 or 50 percent of what they could be. And I think Justin Smith was one of those guys where we only really saw 40-ish percent of who he could be. Like, there just felt like there was so much more there. I think Troy Williams was kind of like that, even though Troy Williams was a, a, a better player. Um if, if I'm trying to make another IU comparison in that, you know, Troy Williams' career overall was good and he became a pro eventually, but I, just, I always felt like there was more to be tapped into that for whatever reason never got tapped into for him. Yeah, Troy's another guy like that that you just get frustrated because you are you could be so good. Aaron, Aaron Wheeler this year was that guy. Yeah. And, and I really hope he doesn't graduate, you know, be done three years down the road whenever it is and, and we look back and say, whatever happened to him? Why wasn't he... You know, you, you hope for their sake, but also our sake. We're watching. We want to see something special, and we know there's something special there, and we're not seeing it. It's frustrating. Aaron Wheeler tapped into like five percent of what he could be this book out that season, and I feel for him because he's yeah. a great kid, a Fairfield County kid like me. But um, what a disaster that that season was for him, and I think he'd admit the same. Um, I love this. Every once in a while, this pops up on Twitter where somebody asks a question and it becomes kind of viral. Like, you know, remember it was, what is your hottest food take from a couple of months ago? I'm not sure this is going to reach that level, but I, you and I, um, growing up around the same era of, uh, of when baseball was still the number one sport. That was me when I was still really young. And that was you when you were a little bit older. Cause there's like what a 15 year gap between us, but batting stances were all <laughs> a really big thing, right? Batting stances, Greg. Oh, so now I just have to agree yeah. with you. After that yeah. segue, I'm just moving right into it. I just didn't want to give you a chance to respond to the 15 year thing. <laughs> it's only 10, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, well, I mean, you grow up, you, you, you watch guys and you want to be that guy. And I, I thought it was amazing that Gary Sheffield was trending on Twitter because that question was asked and so many people said Gary Sheffield. Oh, yeah. He was best. trending nationally. Yeah. And he was and, there. He, he was there for the Marlins when you were there, right? Yeah, I, I saw I, – I, I covered Sheffield with the Marlins, and and he did have a great batting stance. Do you remember another Marlin named Edgar Renteria? Of played course, yeah, walk-off hit. In, in, the, right, in the 97 yeah. World Series, right. Um, he did the same thing that Sheffield did. 
it was weird. Like he, I think, I don't know. And I never asked him, did you grow up? Maybe I did. I just have forgotten, but he did the Sheffield thing. But, uh, my deal was, I mean, mine's stupid. The guy that I, I, I'm not sure, you know, if it's a, if the chicken or egg thing, but the guy that I'd looked a lot like at the plate was Rich Gedman. And my high school coach told me that Rich Gedman for the Boston Red Sox, left-handed kind of an open stance, kind of you're crouching your back foot a little bit. Your, your back leg is, is bent more than the front leg. And, and he, I, they told me one time I looked like Gedman, and I started watching. I'm like, I'll be damned. I do look like Gedman, and I think I started trying to look more like him because it worked for him, and it was sort of working for me. I don't know if I ever told you this, but while I may be 15 years older than you and balder than a cue ball, uh, one of us was All-State in baseball twice in a row, two years in a row, and, and that one that wasn't you. It was not me, no. I, I formed my own wiffle ball league and um, ended up becoming MVP and a two-time All-Star, but <laughs> I, I try not to brag about all of that. My town actually won the, the, the Little League World Series in 1989. That's Trumbull's big claim to fame. The Chris Drury team was my hometown. Uh, were you old enough to be on that team? Was that No, I would have been six. So those kids oh. were six years older than me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, watching the Little League World Series every year as a kid, you always, I always thought I should be out there. And and, and, and with the most part, we could all do it. The problem is those pit, the, every, there's about 15 pitchers in the world that are just too good for that age. And those teams tend to go to the Little League World Series. And they get up there on the mound, they're throwing 70 miles an hour. And from 45 feet, that looks like 102. I mean, oh, it's, it's, like, it's, like, yeah. it's like asking a little 12-year-old to go in the batter's box and go hit. All he's going to do is throw fastballs, but go hit um, Max Scherzer. Are you, I mean, it's ridiculous. I played two years of Little League, and I never got a hit. True story. Um, I was plunked in my first at bat, and so I used to swing with my eyes closed which uh-huh. I come to find out that it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to make contact when your eyes are closed. Did but you have glasses? I grounded out. I had glasses. My, I grounded out one time in fair territory, and my parents uh, took me for ice cream afterwards because <laughs> I, I made contact. So that was exciting enough to earn ice cream. But, yeah. That is the most Not an athlete story ever. I, I would venture to guess that I am – I know this for a fact in Indianapolis. I, I'm probably the worst athlete of any media person – in any market anywhere. But you, you're, just, in, just you're in better shape than most of them, though. You look better in that shirt than most of them look in their shirts. I mean, media, oh, it's, 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 a, it's a low bar. I mean, the media, we're, we're, not, <laughs> we're not a healthy yeah. group. That's so it's true. Not, right. <laughs> you, do, you do notice whenever somebody has some sort of definition, I guess, right? Because that's wild, usually that guy. when they're standing in the buffet line, that's usually not the case. Yeah, apparently that guy only eats two Whoppers for lunch, not three like all these other clowns. <laughs> As always, I listed a bunch of stuff, and we were only able to kind of scratch the surface on everything. But uh, I did want to touch on your columns. Uh, Christian Lander, as you teased last week, part of your senior class project, that's out. Um, you've got the transfer thing coming out today, correct? Coming and out the, today. And, and the Colts thing came out yesterday? It did, but I got one more story I'm looking forward to readers reading finally. is, And this guy's been on my list since I got hired here. Uh you know, um, John Dillinger, it was a guy that I always wanted to write about. And I did. Uh, six months ago, I wrote about John Dillinger, the athlete, and that was fun. Well, there's another guy that's all on my list, and his name is James Dean. And I went to James Dean's childhood home, and I saw where he played basketball as a kid and and got a bunch of insight. I actually talked to, talked to one of his teammates and two guys that played against him, and they are still bitter. I mean, they are bitter 
70 years later. And normally when you're, if you're an older dude and I'm talking to you and you're bitter like this, I'm going to protect you a little bit. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not going to use that quote cause you don't want to come across that way. So I'm going to instead, but, but one of these guys, he clearly had been waiting 70 years for someone to ask him the question I asked him. And I, and I thought, well, I'm going to give you what you want. You're going to say that about James Dean. Then sir, you're going in my story saying that about James Dean. So <laughs> I want people to read that. Awesome. Looking forward to it. IndyStar.com slash sports. Also the IndyStar mobile app. You can subscribe as well and support local journalism and great uh, uh, columnists like Reg and the Doyle and Derek podcast as well. We'll see you next week, my man. Thanks. You're the best. Thanks, Derek. Bye.